Acts chapter 2 and verse, we'll begin with verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let us pray. Our Father and Lord, we bow before you today, tonight to thank you for the word of God, to thank you for another privilege to preach. And Lord, how I need you tonight, and I pray you'd prepare my heart and the hearts of the people we might receive from you. I pray, God, for physical strength. I pray for wisdom and understanding. May I rightly divide the Word of God. May I honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I like to read this scripture about this early church from time to time and find the reasons of their uh, tremendous success. And talking to you tonight about ingredients for success. Uh, here 3,000 are added to the church. I've never heard of that happening uh, since that time. Uh, you know, many times an evangelist uh, will renown evangelist a whole crusade and announce how many thousand made professions, but in a month it's hard to find them. I don't think that was true with this early church. But there are some things that were unique and things I believe that we can have. I do not believe that we're going to have a second Pentecost as some are teaching. But I do believe that we can have the blessing of God uh, that they had upon their life. First of all, they were a praying people. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. No substitute for praying. What is praying? Praying is asking. Praying is talking to God and asking for things. Uh, nothing wrong with that. In fact, it was a great day of my life when I realized that God was not offended by me asking Him for things, but the Lord encouraged it rather than discouraged it. And we have the example in James chapter 5 of Elijah. The Bible said that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth, by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. Three and a half years later, he could still get his prayers answered. You know, many, many people that profess the name of Christ, three and a half years, you can't find them. But here's a man that was, uh, that was faithful. Here's a man that was consistent. Here's a man that could stop the rain and start the rain by praying to God. Of course, God's the one that did it but he did it in response to the petition of Elijah. Now, it would not have been hard to pray for rain, but it might have been difficult to pray for no rain because that would affect Elijah as well as the rest of the world. Uh, but he prayed, and the Lord shut up the heavens, gave no rain or dew 
for those three years and six months. But God took care of his servant, didn't he? He takes him over there to the brook Kidron, and I believe it's the brook, uh, I may have that name wrong. But anyway, he takes him over there to the brook, and uh, God sends the ravens with flesh in the evening and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh, and feeds his servant. Someone said that he calls the raven to fly over Ahab's table and pick up a big steak and take it over to Elijah. I don't know where he done that or not. But God took care of his servant. And then it came to pass the brook dried up. What is he going to do now? He did not despair. He sends him to the widow and uh, he asked her for a cake of bread and, and uh, she said, I have enough meal for, for my son and I and we're going to eat it and die. He says, you make me one also. Make me one first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And uh, so she does. And the meal continues to come into the barrel. And God takes care of him during this time of famine. Many illustrations of the Bible. I like to study the story of Elisha. Elisha succeeded or uh, came, came after Elijah there. And uh, he follows him there. Of course, and Elijah said, what do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He said, if you see me when I go to heaven, then you'll have it. And he does see him. He stays, he stays with him. And uh, he gets the promise. He performs twice as many miracles as Elijah. He comes down to the brook as they had crossed over. Elijah had parted the water. He takes the mantle of Elijah. He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? and smites the water. And the water parts, and Elisha goes over on dry ground. And they realize the power of God's on his life. Uh, many illustrations in the Bible. Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, and he hasted not to go down to nearly a whole day. And uh, over and over in the Bible, we find God is moved by prayer. And prayer that is prayed in faith, believing. And many times where prayers are affected by the circumstances. If it looks impossible, then we accept the inevitable. But we should not be influenced by the circumstances of that, uh, that surround our prayers. We ought to believe God and, and be willing to accept the will of God, whatever the will of God may be. But to pray in faith and pray believing and pray consistently. God honors prayer. And so uh, they continued in prayers. I wonder when we get to heaven uh, how many things we could have had from God uh, that we did not bother to ask for. First of all, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And then other things that we asked to miss for. And then things that we did not believe God was going to do anyway. Therefore, we didn't get it. So praying. This church was a praying church. And I do not believe God will bless any church that, that does not pray. Uh, well, you, you know, you have not because you ask not. If we don't ask God for things, then we're not likely to get them. So, so we need to pray. Then there is purging. Verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Purging means to cleanse or purify. And I, I remember hearing Curtis Hudson say the only time he prayed all night is he spent it confessing his sin. Can you imagine praying, 
praying all night, confessing your sin. He said he'd pray and he'd start confessing some sins and that'd make him think of other sins and he'd confess those and that'd make him think of other sins. He'd confess those and most of us can confess our sins in two minutes. But sometimes we have the wrong estimation, don't we? It's not difficult to confess someone else's sins. That's pretty easy. I find people, I hear people all the time confessing the sins of others. What about our own sins? The Bible said, why do, you, why do you behold the mode in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own eye? The idea is the speck of salt as compared to a soul log. <laughs> Not much comparison is there. So there needs to be purging. Needs to be confession. Uh, in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I have sin in my life, then God can get my prayers answered, according to the Bible. Isaiah said, The Lord's hand is not shorn that it cannot save, cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins have separated between your God. And so it's sin that hinders and keeps our prayers from being answered. There needs to be purging. A purging, a, a purging of sin. As David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man purge himself from these. And so there needs to be the purging process. You know, most precious metals do not come out in their pure form. They have to go through a purging process. Sometimes God has to put us through the fire so to, to make us what he's trying to, trying to develop in our life. Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And I believe that. By the fear of the Lord. Fear came upon this church. There was, there was a, the fear of God and a respect for the awesomeness of God. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I'll tell you, when God saved me, I was afraid I was going to hell. And God saved me by the fear of the Lord. I had a lady tell me one time, said, I don't want to go to a church where they talk about hell and judgment. I don't want my children scared. Well, I knew right off she didn't want to come hear me. I believe in the judgment of God. I believe in hell. And, and I, by the fear of the Lord, it was the preaching of, of judgment. It was the preaching of hell fire that brought me to Christ. I didn't want to burn forever. And I got saved. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. There's not, not much of the fear of God, is there? Not much, not much respect. And sometimes there's not, not as much fear of God because we may not have the testimony that, that the old saints of God had. And there was a fear in people's, in people's heart and a respect for the things of God. You don't see that much now, do you? And so there, was, there needs to be purging. Then thirdly, there's paying. Verse 45, and so the Bible said they had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now some say this is communism. The early, but the Bible teaches communism. Well, that's not true. Communism rejects God and God's word. And this doesn't mean here that, uh, that the person that was willing to work and earn a living was supposed to support the, the fellow that wouldn't work. That's not what he's teaching at all. But there was a need there and they were willing to sacrifice to meet that need. And so there was, there was a giving. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Malachi, of course, talks about tithing. 
People say that's Old Testament. Well, it is. I didn't find out where the Lord told us to throw that away. And the principle is right, carried right over into the New Testament. He said, will a man rob God? And then he asked the question. They say, wherein have we robbed thee? He says, in tithes and offerings. And he says, you're cursed with a curse. The nation is cursed because you've robbed God. Uh, I heard a preacher saying one time that if a person had robbed God, they'd rob anybody. Well, 10% is God's. 10% of everything that comes in my possession belongs to the Lord. If I take that, then I'm stealing. That belongs to God. And it ought to be given to the, to the work of the Lord and the ministry of the Lord. And the Bible teaches that. You can find it very clearly taught in Malachi chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Talks about the attitude that we ought to give. And that God loves a cheerful giver. If we give grudgingly, then we give with the wrong attitude. And we ought to give as unto the Lord. And, and give it with a cheerful heart. Uh, there's one fellow, the only one, only one fellow I ever know to shout when you took an offering. People thought he was kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, he'd get up and testify and, and uh, how God had, uh, uh, God had uh, blessed his life. And I heard, I, di I didn't hear him personally tell the story, uh, but I, I heard others tell the story that years ago, I think he's in heaven, been dead a number of years now, but, uh, but uh, back when the bow weevil is eating all the cotton up, and they said, this man planted his cotton, got out in the field. You could hear him as you passed, hear him praying and begging God to keep the boll weevil away. And they said, the boll weevil eat everybody else's up and didn't bother his. Well, he had something to shout about, didn't he? He had something to praise God for. God will take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. First say, well, I'm having a hard enough time. I'm having a hard enough time the way it is. If I give 10% away, I know I can't make it. Try it. God says, prove me. God says, you put me to the test and see what I'll do. And I'll tell you, God will come through. If God can't do more with nine than I can with ten, I might as well quit anyway. And he talks about there in Malachi, I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll, I'll, I'll keep the grasshoppers away. I'll keep the bugs away. I'll take care of you. I'll keep the doctor away or whatever. I'll take care of you. Doesn't mean we're never going to have any sickness, never going to have any problem, but I'll tell you, God will take care of you. And, uh, and I serve notice on the devil tonight that God has met every need that I have ever had. I have no complaints. And I believe he'll take care of my future. <laughs> I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what needs are out there tomorrow, next week, next year. But God's made some promises. And if you can't believe God, who can you believe? If we can't trust the Lord, then we can't trust anybody, can we? And God will take care of you. I believe that. Well, let me get off of that. That's not all, not usually not very popular. And I think the Lord over the years, I've had to say very little about it. Uh, because I believe God will move on the hearts of his people to do what they're supposed to do, to do right. Well, then there's perseverance. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship 
Then in verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Verse 44 says, and all that believed were together and had all things common. They were consistent. They were perseverance. Perseverance, what does that mean? That means you stay with it. I believe God's people, I believe saved people persevere. Now, I do not believe in persevering as a, as a requirement for faith. I believe you're saved by the grace of God, by grace through faith. But I believe if you're saved, your life will change. I believe if you're saved, you live right. Now, if you get off track, God's going to deal with you if you're a child of God. I know that. <laughs> you ever been to the woodshed? Lord ever take you to the woodshed? Boy, I'll tell you, my dad, when I was, you know, in this, in this society, he'd, he'd been gotten for child abuse. But he, he believed in the hickory. How many, how many knows what the hickory is? Hickory tea. Yeah, I used to call it. My mom would say, I'm going to tell your daddy. That's the worst words I ever heard. Well, Daddy'd come home. We'd eat supper, go to bed. I said, "She's forgot. He's forgot. I've got by." Go to bed, turn those covers down, those naked legs. We didn't know what pajamas were. That was for rich kids. Turn those covers down and get that keen hickory switch. And boy, I'll tell you, he made a believer out of you. The Bible says, because sin is against an evil work, it's not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil because God doesn't whip us immediately. Sometimes we think we got by. The wheels of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding fine. And God does what he says he'll do. He deals with his people. He said, if you be with that chastisement or of all the protectors, then are you bastards and not sons. The Lord said, if God doesn't deal with you, you're not saved. If you can sin against God and God doesn't take you to the woodshed, you're not saved. And you need to get saved. God will deal with his children. I believe that. First said, I'm saved. They quit church and sit at the house and don't go to church anywhere. Don't ever read the Bible. Don't ever pray. Don't ever do anything for God, and they sat there for 10 years. I'm saved. I'm not their judge, but I wonder. That's not the way God deals with me. You know, Lord, take me to the woodshed. <laughs> Lord, turn down the covers and tan my legs. God deals with his own. Well, Perseverance. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about running in the race. 9, 24, they that run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Well, to be like the, the athletes and the, you hear a lot of talk about the Olympic Games and I'm always amazed at the effort and the energy that's put into winning a gold medal. Well, uh, God says we're after something better than that. Philippians 3.14 said, I press toward the mark 
for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. There's a prize far more important than winning an Olympic event. And God said, I want you to stay with it. Stay. Listen, we're too close to the finish line, aren't we? And I know I've told this story, I guess, a hundred times. But I want to hear it again, so I'm going to tell it again. I guess you get tired of hearing the same old stories, kind of like B.R. Lakin. He had a fellow sung for him. And of course, uh, a lot of evangelists, you know, they preach their most famous sermons, and they preach in this city one this week. Next week, they're in a different place, so they preach the same ones. And uh, he said, I guess you get tired of hearing my same old messages. And uh, uh, the singer, he wanted to be kind. He said, no, I, I don't reckon so. He said, well, I sure get tired of hearing them same old songs. <laughs> so uh, you probably get tired of hearing the same old illustrations. But uh, uh, you've, you've heard it and... Some of them, you know, some illustrations you read, you read, I read a lot of them, and some of them stick and some don't, but uh, the Boston Marathon, I guess, is, is the, I think, is the right race uh, where they run for all those miles. And uh, they run and run and run. Anybody that's run long distance uh, knows the effort and the, all that goes into that. And they say, uh, right before the end of the race, there's a long hill, heartbreak ridge or something like that. There's a long hill. And you can imagine, if you've run on how many miles it is, probably over 20 miles, they run all these miles. And I can't imagine running that long, really. It's beyond me. I'd have trouble running 100 feet, I guess. But they run those miles and they get to that ridge. And no doubt there is a tendency to be discouraged and quit. There's no doubt their bones are aching and crying out for rest. But they say there's something that motivates those athletes to keep pressing on. Because just beyond that last hill is the finish line. And that story blesses me. You know, we just need to stay with the stuff and keep on keeping on because we're almost to the finish line. We're almost there. God help us to stay with the stuff. Let me go on. Number five. There was praising. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. This was a praising church. There's nothing wrong with praising God. The people express themselves. I usually weep more than shouting. And I know people that, that uh, you know, holler amen. That's all. Listen, that don't bother me. That's like saying, sick him to a bulldog. <laughs> but they ought to be rejoicing. I believe in rejoicing and praising God. It's all right. It's in order if it's of the Lord. I don't believe, that that's, I don't believe in that, that you beat up with some drum or something. But that that comes out of a heart of gratitude to God, an expression of praise and thanksgiving to God, I'm all for it. I like it. And we don't have nearly enough. <laughs> This was a praising church. This was a rejoicing church. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's, there's strength and joy in there. Something about joy that's such a blessing. And you can't read the Psalms. We did a study on the Psalms once uh, without realizing that this, these Jewish people uh, praise God a lot. 
And they did it, not necessarily, uh, although I, they probably did there as well in the temple, uh, because really the temple was not as we think of a, uh, of a church service where you have people on pews and all. Uh, the temple or the tabernacle in the temple could only accommodate a certain, certain people, a certain amount of people. But uh, anyway, they rejoiced on the road. They rejoiced going there and coming back from there and up and down the road. They were singing and praising God. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. There's effort in our nation seems like to stop that. Oh, no, we can't have, we can't have this praising God in school. Well, look what we've got. Have to have guards and kids killing other kids and, and all this thing going on. What do you expect? And uh, let's don't have God in the workplace. Well, we need God everywhere. It's all right to praise the Lord. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth at all times. Psalm 50, 23, Whoso offers praise glorifieth me. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Psalm 119, 164, Seven times a day do I praise thee. I remember when I was in Israel. You get woke up in the middle of the night. Raw, 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 and all this carrying on. I said, what in the world is going on? They said, that's the Muslims. And they had this, this announcement of prayer, and they would carry on language. Of course, I couldn't understand their language. But I thought, and, and they'd, uh, they'd go in that uh, mosque of Omar there and bow down and worship, bow down and worship, do, go through all that stuff and praying and praising a God that doesn't exist. And this psalmist said, seven times a day do I praise thee. Well, we ought to praise God at least that many times. Let me tell you three good times. Breakfast, dinner, and supper. Get three of me in right then. <laughs> Don't be like the fellow, you know, the city fellow that went down to the farm. And... Uh, they, they had a meal together and the farmer bowed his head and thanked God for the food. The city fellow said, Does everybody down on the farm do this? Ridiculing the farmer, he said, No, the hogs don't. <laughs> Seven. An old hog will run out under an acorn tree and eat all the acorns and never look up to see where they come from. It's all right to thank God. It's all right to bow your head, even out in the restaurant. I'm not ashamed. Now, I don't pray forever. Some people say, you pray a short, short prayer. Like one fellow, he prayed. He asked, called on him to give thanks to the table. And he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. <laughs> He's behind on his praying, evidently. <laughs> fellow said, if I know I was going to have a prayer meeting, I'd have brought my Bible. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you don't have to pray forever, but thank God for the food and say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for giving me this food and bless it. And when you do that, the Bible teaches you're asking God to take the curse off of it. You know, everything's cursed, isn't it? 
Those got good corn and beans. You get out of the garden, them taters. And it's got the curse of God on it. It growed in the earth. But every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, the Bible says, if you think God is cleansed by the word of God and prayer. And so give thanks to the Lord. Seven times a day do I praise thee. Hebrews 13, 15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now that's New Testament. Hebrews, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. And I don't think that's just written to Jews. It's amazing how some people, everything they don't like, they get throw off the Jew. Well, that's, we'll give that to the Jews. I don't like that. I think there's good things in Hebrews. It's good for all Christians, sir, not just Jewish people. By him, let us offer the sacrifice continually. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. One of the, one of the steps downward is when you become ungrateful and unthankful. One of the most grateful people, I, preachers I've ever been around is J. Harold Smith. I never, I've never been around anybody. I know we had him in count meeting down uh, when I was down in Maiden there. And uh, uh, somebody would take him out to eat or something, you know, and he'd, you could tell. And I don't think he was, I don't think he was just talking, you know, to try to, uh, try to build up people or flatter people. But he was really grateful. He had a, he had a grateful heart. I, want, I thought, often thought, I, I want to be like that. I want to I have a heart of gratitude and, and be thankful. And we have so much in this country that sometimes we don't know how to be thankful. I mean, kids grow up and sometimes parents, they, parents that grew up not having everything, not having a lot of things, and sometimes they ruin their kids by giving them everything they want. Worst thing in the world you can do for a child is to give them everything they want. Even if you are able to do it, it doesn't help children. It hurts children. Let them learn the ethic of work. That You have to work for things. And, and they need to be taught that. Breaking bread from house to house, did them eat their, eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They went to church every day. People say, in Baptists go to church too much. Go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Go to church too much. They went every day. Went every day. Well, preaching. I believe in preaching. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? I believe in preaching. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Some churches have forsaken preaching for everything in the world. But I'll tell you, there's no substitute for the word of God. I believe in preaching, old-fashioned Holy Ghost preaching. I believe in it. This was a preaching church. And uh, it didn't say foolish preaching there in 1 Corinthians 1.21. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. The world thinks it's foolish. One preacher said, God's not deaf. You don't have to holler. Another fellow said, God's not nervous either. <laughs> and there is scripture to support loud preaching, believe it or not.
there is scripture to support that. Cry aloud, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, the Bible says, and show my people their transgression. Preaching. And then finally, there's persuading. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Persuading. I'm trying to keep people out of hell. Persuading. Sometimes it's hard to, you know, seem like in recent years, I guess as I've gotten older, I used to, used to be able to reach a lot of young people when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, it seems like I have more, uh, more in common with older people. <laughs> and older people are hard to win to Christ. You'd think the opposite. You'd think a person getting their 70s, 80s, they know they don't have long, they'd be easy to win to Christ. Hardest people in the world to win to Christ. That don't make sense, does it? But that's the way it is. Hard to persuade an older person to come to Christ. Thank God, once in a while you get someone. Sometimes it takes years to win them. And I think of uh, Mr. Bryant, you know. I visited him, visited his wife and her sickness, and of course, talking, visited with him as well, witnessed to him about the Lord. Won him to Christ a week before he died. Thank God he got saved. And some you don't win, some you can't get in. But thank God for those that are saved. And listen, I don't regret all those visits. They were not in vain. Sometimes you wonder. You go and go and go and you wonder if you're doing any good. That's God's business. His word will not return void. Remember a fellow years ago, my brother-in-law worked with him and he said, I want you to visit this fellow. said he's been pretty rough. He's retired from the military and, and said he drinks quite a bit and so forth. And uh, He said uh, he's got cancer and I want you to go see him. He's had, having surgery. And I went and see him. He had had surgery when I went. And uh, you know what he told me? He said, I bet the doctor, I think it was a case or a carton of beer, I'd come through this. Now he's going to have to pay up. I thought, what a thing to say. You've just been through cancer surgery. But I, I became friends with him, developed a friendship, and then visited him in his home. He said, a preacher, said, I'm going to come to your church one time, and if I don't like it, you leave me alone. I said, okay. I knew I had one shot. <laughs> Thank God that's all it took. He come down the aisle, him and his wife come was gloriously, wonderfully saved. Doctor said he'd lived six months. He lived over two, two and a half years, I think it was. Oh, he wasted away to nearly nothing. He couldn't sit on the pew. We had a special chair at the back for him. He'd come to church when he wasn't able to come. I know that. He'd hold the pews, walk down the aisle. Had three pews in the church, three rows of pews. He'd, he'd walk down, walk the aisle and hold on those pews. He'd say, I want, I want to testify. He'd say, the best thing ever happened to me when God get when I got cancer. He said, I got saved. Going to heaven. Thank God that makes it worth it all, doesn't it? Amen. Makes it worth it all. He's been in heaven a long time. One day I'll see him for long. 
he is terrified of water. His sister said, I guarantee he'll never be baptized. But when he heard the Word of God taught, they all be baptized, he followed the Lord, and he was. He was scared. He said, now, preacher, you're not going to drop me, are you? I said, no, brother, I'm not going to drop you. I said, you just trust me. You'll be all right. He followed the Lord in baptism. Oh, thank God for those precious memories. Precious memories of winning people of Christ. I tell you, there's nothing like it. You may talk to a hundred, but if you win one, you may talk to a thousand. But if you win one, it's worth it all. I see Russell sitting back there. Thank God. I went to see him in the hospital, and his daughter was there, and boy, she was pouring it on. <laughs> she was a witness to him. Then I went in and started witnessing to him. Thank God he got saved. Got saved. Worth it all. Persuading. Persuading people to come to the Savior. And I've never had one yet. Once they got saved, they regretted it. Said, I wish you'd have left me alone. I wish you hadn't bothered me, left me in my sin. I've never had the first one ever say that. In fact, I don't know anybody that what become my good friend. <laughs> they appreciated it. Now they can go to heaven and won't have to burn forever. That's wonderful, isn't it? Persuading. And then there's the persuading of a believer, 2 Corinthians 5, 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. He's talking to Christians. The terror of the Lord. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. If we could see the judgment seat of Christ, you'd want me to preach harder about living right, serving God. Live your life for Jesus, folks. That's all that really matters. Think of my precious daughter. She's been in church since she was a week or two old. She's sat at that piano for years. A lot of time you just take things for granted, don't you? And uh, I know when, when I was down in Maiden, hardest thing I ever, large church, hardest thing I ever done, I guess, was have to stand up and tell that church that God has called me to leave. People came, wept and cried and says, Preacher, we just took you for granted. Well, we take a lot of things for granted, don't we? But uh, I'm so glad that she's lived her life for Jesus. And you know she's glad. You live your whole life for the Lord. Whatever happens, it's worth it all. It's what really counts, isn't it? Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Live for Jesus. Acts 20, 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. I think of the Apostle Paul, his compassion, his concern. And he wept with them and taught them and encouraged them to live for God. When you feel like quitting, you feel like giving up, you feel like throwing in the towel, just remember, we're almost home. We're almost at the finish line. You hang in there. Stay with the stuff. One day, thank God, it'll be worth it all. 
many regrets. I've been with people on their bedside when they were dying. And I've had people, a man I mentioned, he'd say the only regret I have is I didn't get saved younger. I've had people say, Preacher, I, I'm saved and I've been out of the will of God and I've, here I am and I've, I've, got to go to, I've got to meet the Lord. Can't get better. Got to go. And I'm so sorry. Hadn't served God like I ought to. If you don't live for Jesus, you'll be sorry one day. Live for the Lord. That's what really counts. Let's bow our heads, please.